Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Ghostbusters, a.k.a. Ghostbusters 2016, a.k.a. Ghostbusters colon answer the call, a.k.a. new Ghostbusters. I think I'm going to call it new Ghostbusters because that's what I'm calling new Star Trek. The 2009 Star Trek movie, I just call new Star Trek just yeah. because otherwise I have to say Star Trek, meaning the 2009 movie. It's a pain in the ass. Okay, so... That's okay. She seems peaceful. My name is Erin Gilbert, Doctor of Particle Physics. Ah! That stuff went everywhere, by the way, in every crack. Very hard to wash off. Somebody is trying to unleash the dead on New York City, and we may be the only ones that can save it. Why am I operating the untested nuclear laser? You have the longest arms. Fire! Oh, what? Well, uh... These women are just sad. I'm sure she just misspoke. Sad, bored, lonely, sad women. Oh. Hello. I'm here at the receptionist job. Hi. You're hired. <laughs> God, you're all sweaty. There are people out there that need our help. Okay, I got it. We need to form a group and build something to fight these damn ghosts. That's exactly what we already do here. Oh, where are the Something big is going to happen. I think the word we're looking for is apocalypse. I will kick the unliving crap out of you, and you, especially you. We don't want mass hysteria. Get out of the city! Get out of the city! Kevin, can you answer the phone? I can't. It's in the fish tank. The one on the desk. Oh, that one. Uh, what's the place called again? Conductors of the Metaphysical Examination. Got it. Ghostbusters. No, I'm tired. No, no, listen. I'm just going to go ahead and take off. How about that? I, I don't really think that's a good nope. idea. Nope. Going to take off. Don't upset the ghosts. Really? Greetings. Tonight, we're going to tackle one of the most anticipated yet least wanted reboots slash remakes of all time. You all know how we feel about the original 1984 Ghostbusters. It's a classic. Frankly, it's one of the few practically perfect movies in terms of what it sets out to do and the 200% it achieves. It was the first movie I ever saw at the cinema. It had a profound effect on me. With us is Bob Movie Bob Chipman of... Are you of Screen Rant and now Geek.com? Uh, yes, uh, Screen Rant, Geek.com, and also uh, just on my own. As Bob has said that this was a once-only scenario, the first Ghostbusters, that is, due to the chemistry of the cast, tightly focused script, ideally placed special effects, and release window, which even its own sequel could not come close to, much like Jaws, Men in Black, Poltergeist, and I'm going to say Jurassic Park, even though I know that you, Bob, said it was an average Spielberg. Sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> That's like one of the, the few times that I've gone, what? Okay, but yeah, move on. This is going to be just a sit-down chat between the three of us, me, Bob Sharon, and we all 
as far as I can tell, we all pretty much agree that the Ghostbusters, new Ghostbusters, is way better than it had any right to be. And we mean that in the best way. It exceeded expectations. It's got great, fun characters that we enjoy spending time with. It's packed with funny moments. And when the time comes for the plot to develop into all-out supernatural chaos, the whole thing kind of deflates. Not terribly, but it, the third act is noticeably weaker than the first two. And specifically, it's the action is not as good as the comedy. Yeah. Having said that, it's a comedy first, and it always was. And thank Goza, it wasn't the other way around, with crappy, unfunny characters, but fantastic action sequences, because we just plain wouldn't care. So, yeah, if you want to hear us bitch and rage about Ghostbusters 2016, then other podcasts and YouTube channels will surely fulfill that need. Yeah, you're, you're going to have plenty of that. Oh, God, yeah, there's plenty. Uh, before we get to the meat of this, two things. One... Everyone listening now, your homework is to watch Bob's Really That Good presentation on Ghostbusters 1984. It is 37 minutes of pure joy and some mind-blowing interpretations of the original classic that frankly put our podcast on that same movie to shame in terms of insight. Well done, Bob. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's been one of my favorite things to watch on uh, YouTube for uh, the past year. Secondly, some of the louder, mewling man-children out there have been criticizing this remake for turning their precious Ghostbusters into a comedy. Yeah, that is bizarre, right? (laughs) That reminded me of one thing. Bob, have you seen the trailer for Spook Central? Uh, I have not. Okay. The trailer for Spook Central is a parody trailer of a non-existent film, which is a parody of the documentary Room 237. Bob, have you seen that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. This is all about fans of The Shining reading way too much into every frame of that movie and without a shred of self-awareness, declaring it to be packed with mathematically organized sexual imagery and secret messages about Kubrick filming the fake moon landings. So Room 237 is quite an extraordinary experience of the extent that fan theories can reach, and Spook Central makes fun of those by applying similar thinking to the obvious comedy of Ghostbusters. Now, while Bob's readings... Now, while Bob's readings are really that good, give it layer upon layer of new meaning, I'm going to assume he's also very aware that this is an exceptional comedy, first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it, it, it is. Starring three comedy comedians from Saturday Night Live! Yeah, it, it's a bizarre... Like, I understand sort of how people get there on this one. I think something else that, that's emerged that's attached to this is something that I kind of assumed right up front, and it's been kind of surprising to watch, like, the rest of the the film critic culture-watching world kind of cue in on, uh, is this idea that for a lot of the guys who are, and it is all guys, who are, like, way, not overly attached to Ghostbusters, but regard it in a way that maybe even it was not meant to be regarded... It mm. comes more from the animated series, yeah, which they've conflated in with the movie, which is also a comedy. I mean, it is a cartoon. It was funny in keeping with the movies, but it also was much more obsessed with its own lore mm. than mm. the the ghost. Like the first Ghostbusters movie has a good like mythic backdrop in it. They've worked out a you know, a, a system for Gozer and Vince Clortho and the Keymaster and Zool and all of this stuff that, like, makes sense. And that's part of why it's so good, is that, you know, even something there that's part of the joke, since he's making fun of the whole Lovecraftian horror mythology thing, 
but they picked one that actually works and it functions in the context of their movie, it's still a joke. You know, it's, yeah. it's still there to be funny and say, you know, all of these funny, you know, it's there so that Egon and Ray can be going off on all of these strange names and things and then Venkman and everyone else can be going, okay, yeah, can you say that in English so that the audience can have a laugh? It's part of the gag. But a lot of these guys seem to have, like, grown up regarding, like, the the mythos of Ghostbusters as being much more seriously than it ever wanted to take place in, and I think a lot of it is attached to fandom for the animated show, which was great. It's, mm. It might be the best, like, animated series spinoff of a live-action movie, but it's, it's a... It's still a comedy itself. Yeah. It's there, but I, I do think that, it, like, I assumed that upfront going in was that, you know, the reason that there is a Ghostbusters franchise is the fact that the animated show carried it for several more years. It certainly yeah. wasn't Ghostbusters 2. You know, it, yeah. it's not like people came out of Ghostbusters 2 saying, okay, wow, there's such a much bigger world here than I thought. I can't wait for a third one. It's all from the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, in effect, uh, Ghostbusters 2, if you look at the timing of it, Ghostbusters 2 was the, the last clarion call for Ghostbusters. That's possibly why we've uh, it's got such a weirdly um, uh, adamant fan base that Ghostbusters 2 was it. Like after that, real Ghostbusters slowly rolled itself out and, and it was done. I actually put that mainly down to Turtle Mania. Everyone was all about the Ninja Turtles. There was no room for the Ghostbusters anymore. Yeah, they destroyed everything. <laughs> Yeah, um, and, you know, <laughs> and that, to continue it, to do so, and uh, it paved the way for such great cartoons as Stone Protectors. <laughs> <laughs> that that well, uh, folks, YouTube trolling the '90s. What Bob says on Stone Protectors, rib tickling again stuff. Um, but but yeah, no, were there four of them? There were, and yes. I think they they were all just a bunch of '90s tropes. <laughs> Always there must be four. <laughs> But uh, no, one thing you said in the, the really that good was that ultimately, even if you didn't get a single one of the jokes, if you, for example, were an alien just watching Ghostbusters and you just didn't get where the, the comedy references came in, the, the film itself actually really just does work. And I think that what that may be what they were sort of latching onto. And you could definitely level, you know, at, at uh, new Ghostbusters without the jokes. It's a weaker film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think pretty much any film is weaker without the jokes. It's uh, you know, it's uh, ultimately it then changes genre if uh, you know in this hypothetical situation. But um, but it's it's a good way of just outlining that that ultimately that the 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 the, the crowbar line between action and comedy that um, you know a lot of other films don't do even even as well as this. Um, and there are definitely some you know awesome action moments. I think the. I'll just I'll say it right now. The moment that just made everyone in the cinema both times I've seen this now just go yes was uh, Holtzman going apeshit with two guns at the same time, uh, in just this sort of glorious uh, neutrino ballet. Yeah, the, the uh, <laughs> what a weird thing about the action in this movie, and this is a problem with way too many action comedies in general, mm. is that you know when it come is that there's not a lot of thought put into yeah. um, the the physicality of action and matching it to character. And, mm -hmm. you know, not, not to jump already into the old one, new one thing, the original Ghostbusters is in love with the fact that its leads are four middle-aged, out-of-shape guys. 
schlubs. And, and you know that they, I mean, like they, they they fight Gozer, they they pull out the guns, they do all the stuff, and they look very cool doing it. But they're constantly getting knocked back by knocked back by their own uh, blast force. You know, they get manhandled by mm-hmm. Gozer in in most of that main battle. They're constantly falling down and getting slimed, and you know, it's it's part of the gag. It's like, look, these are just like pest exterminators. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the new one does this for like two thirds of the movie, where they're like, "Yep, yeah, okay, this is the slapstick. The, this is comedy. Here it is." But as soon as it needs to be the Avengers, right at the end of the movie, suddenly yeah. all of them are in a John Woo movie, and you know, like Kristen <laughs> is is doing like you know, like af- like flips in the middle of things and throwing things around, and yeah, which yeah. it looks cool. Like I'm just like. You know, if you you pay your dues as a comedian, you know, get him on a green screen. You want to say he's like, yeah, you want to look like Spider Man for a minute? Hell yeah! But it, it kind of takes from character. Whereas uh, there's something about Kate McKinnon's performances when she gets into it, she's so bizarre in the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. I, you, you sort of buy. It's like, yeah, okay, I can I can buy that for no particular reason. She didn't tell anyone she was a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, I'm going to hold this to account in the same way as uh, uh, this is one of my only um, the, the bigger beefs that I had with the world's end, which we've never mentioned. The third part of the uh, um, Cornetto trilogy, uh, which we saw again for the third time today and was better this third time. Um, we, we'd seen a, um, movies with Mikey. Uh, he did an excellent uh, report on it. And um, uh, Sharon did some great interpretation. I think we're going to do the Cornetto trilogy, and we will tell you that then. We're going to have to, yeah. But one of the problems I always had with it was that the when the like the fighting suddenly starts halfway through, and out of nowhere, every single character is a ninja, and they've got all this incredibly carefully coordinated um, Scott Pilgrim style fighting scenario uh, techniques, and it's like, well, wh- where did anyone learn how to be this coordinated? <laughs> and in under Sharon's new interpretation of the film, that all makes sense. And I'm like, ah, so wait for that one, folks. But um, but yeah, that that was always like, well, what, what, where did that come from? So I should really apply the same thing to Ghostbusters. And okay, right, yeah, you know, you know, we know that you're super exuberant, Abby, but now you're rolling around the place like you know doing all of that stuff. She didn't seem anywhere near as as graceful when she was being flailed around like a deflating balloon earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is something that um, that yeah, there's there's a definite distinction between um, the uh, the original and this one, but I think it's something that you can really apply to most uh, modern day movies, and that's the compartmentalization of the action. Mm. There isn't that seamless blend between the you know the SNL style uh, comedy dynamic between the characters. Segwaying into the what's a comedy action scene in the original movie and what comes out as a more or less straight action scene in this yeah. one, and I think that's possibly again the the only bit where my attention maybe wandered a little bit um, is there's a, a section sort of in the beginning of the third act I'd say where you suddenly get hammered with just action 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 and that will usually turn me off anything. It only did a tiny bit for this which speaks quite highly of it but mm. there did seem to be a very definite line between um you know the the character based interactive um comedy narrative and okay now we do the bit where everything looks awesome and and effects laden yeah yeah well a, a lot of this is <clears throat> this is a, a a modern 
issue with a lot of movies. Um, comedies, you see it more in because there's such a tonal shift. But a lot of this comes from the, the fact that big action scenes in movies now tend to be really heavily pre-visualized. Yeah, be, yeah. Before mm-hmm. they get they get into this, this comes up in uh, the... Have you seen the, the documentary De Palma? No. This this is a, a a new documentary. It's um it's it's having a, a you know like a moderately paced international rollout, but it, it's just Brian De Palma talking about every one of his movies in in an okay. interview style. Hmm. And one of the things that he settles on is that he really despises pre visualization in in modern mm-hmm. movies. Which for listeners who haven't heard this particular word before, this means what it sounds like that they. Are all the effect sequences, especially CGI that actors are going to have to be dropped into, is mm-hmm. so elaborate and so expensive now that a lot of times they are designing the fight scenes before they're done officially Costing. with the script. Yeah. And saying, okay, work this out, and then, you know, get all of the effect stuff set in the computers so when it comes time to it, We'll get the actors there and we'll put them in. So regardless of what they've decided these characters are, they already know what these fights are. And, you know, this happens mostly in big action movies where you can kind of get away with that because you sort of, you already know what Captain America is going to do. Well, it's easier in in the Marvel movies because um, most of the heroes have already been established and, you know, they've they've got their parameters down. But, you know, uh, with with the Ghostbusters, the idea that they wrap these characters around the fights rather than the fights around the characters does leave me cold. Yeah, it's like it's not a bad moment. And again, it's, it's one of those things I almost want to, like, for like, forgive this aspect of it because narratively it doesn't work. But like viewed as an individual slice in itself. You know, which is kind of like maybe how movies are getting to be now that, you know, instead of being rewatched, they're going to be watched in slivers of favorite scenes on YouTube. Mm. You know, like on its own, you know, I'm thinking, you know, conceptually, the fact that you have a movie where, you know, four middle-aged women are making like John Woo in the middle of a city fighting monsters is, you know, on its own, that's kind of cool. You know, slice it out, throw a Beyonce track over it, that's a great video. But it, it (laughs) it doesn't necessarily click in it's the it's the missed opportunity of the movie that you know we we spend all this time with these characters and nothing about the the action stuff that they do other than Aaron and abby jumping into the portal at the end mm. like has anything to do with their build-up of of stuff previously in the movie you know we we don't yeah. see like and it would be the easiest thing in the world if you're doing this stuff without heavy previs to set up earlier in the movie that uh, Kate McKinnon really wants to use, like, handguns and be more physical with it, and that there's, you know, okay, oh, hey, there's a reason now. That's why she wanted two guns. She can do it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, some kind of physical challenge that uh, that Melissa McCarthy has not been, you know, able to accomplish throughout the film and suddenly is able to do at the end because needs to. Things like, like, this is not hard. But it's, yeah. it has to be done sequentially while you're making the film and organically discovering these characters. And you can't do that if you've already shot your ending in the computer. It makes sense that the uh, the third act of so many movies can can feel homogenized now, if, if that's the the way they're approaching it, with the, the, the previous idea of, right, we've got 
X amount of action that we know we must deliver. So I'm gonna I'm gonna want that ahead of schedule, and we'll uh, we'll write a film that's like uh, what could lead to this much action. Well, we'll, we'll work that out later. Oof. Okay. Um. So let's talk about character because that's the uh, the other uh, major. But okay, right. Back to Spook Central. Just the end of what I was just gonna say there was those complaining that the original Ghostbusters were, was not a comedy and that they've now made it into one um, have missed the point so entirely that it's possible to make Spook Central for real if someone actually wants to do that and interview them. Um, <laughs> What really becomes the voice of the other world is the Yamaha DX7, heard for the first time when the beams radiate from the Columbia woman. She started as a Roman soldier holding a shield and a stalk of wheat, but she evolved to become what was known as the Coca-Cola Columbia woman because of her distinctive shape. So before the film even begins, we're looking at a bottle of Coca-Cola, we're hearing this otherworldly tune, and we're being told, hey, you want to know what the real unknowable force is? Well, go to the kitchen and look in the fridge. poster that first came out looked so much like something a civic body or a council would put up, which is a symbol that only carries as much authority as the public is willing to imbue it with. That's the no smoking sign. I mean, that's just a symbol, but the world treats the intolerance it stands for as a moral right. In Ghostbusters, they're equating poltergeists and psychokinetic energy with the habit that's most likely to get you ostracized, something that's gone from an emblem of the sophisticate to a filthy habit. And what does that say about the tobacco industry? I think for a film that really isn't about sex, it is about sex. The image of the man's arm coming up between Sigourney River's legs had a profound influence on me. The librarian materialises out of Bill Murray and then the manager out of Dan Aykroyd. Michael Winner's The Sentinel is drawn from the same structural blueprints. In the one head is all the symptoms of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and what causes ADHD, food colouring and chemical sweetness. The eggs, because they had a life of their own and she couldn't control it, that was a way of saying like she had to either take back control Control or let things happen and, and make the best of it, which is maybe what having kids is like. If you doubt it for a second that the film was about obesity, look at the scene where Dan Aykroyd stops in front of a poster of a pig and says, this is it. Is that a coincidence? Let's continue by talking about the decision not to make this a torch-passing film or sequel of any kind to Ghostbusters 1 and 2, but a deliberate remake of the original. My trepidation in the lead up to this, because if you remember, like, up until Harold Ramis passed, there were, you know, um, Ackroyd had been saying, oh, we got Ghostbusters 3, but it's going to cost $17 jillion, and it's basically about hell opening up on Earth. And um, that was in the works for decades. And then, the like, Harold Ramis's body was not even cooled when they announced that uh, this new Ghostbusters was coming out and it would be a brand new scenario rather than a, a sequel. And so that leads me to believe that they had this one kind of in the works as a just in case we lose one of them or, you know, because it was always a kind of like, will we get Murray on board for this or not? Yeah. Um, now, with the massive success of Star Wars and with the massive success, if not critically, of Jurassic World... And I suppose to a degree Star Trek as well, because there's that passing of the torch from Nimoy. It's kind of baffling when you look at this, 
that they didn't go for that. Especially because all the surviving Ghostbusters and Dana and even a little statue of Lewis turn up, and Janine as well, uh, turn up in this in cameos. Um, I'm not going to necessarily say that it would have been better, because we don't know what this figurative film would have been like. But it feels like it would have get, gotten less controversy. It would have rubbed people up the wrong way less. It would have, to a degree, been pandering to fans more. But it could have actually been quite sweet to actually see that sort of carried on. And uh, should, we, should we look at reasons why actually it would have been good and reasons why it would have been bad? I mean, you guys... I, I have I, I have some thoughts on that. I think I've run my mouth a, 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 a little bit. If you guys want to jump in first, cause... no, 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 no. Why did? Why do you think we got you on? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think um, I think number one, if they had done the the quote unquote passing of the torch uh, thing, which, which is this this was the the where uh, James Rolfe, the the angry video game nerd, mm-hmm. aka, um, had a video out that became a big viral thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, where his it, it sort of got like adopted by the, you know, a little unfairly by by the we hate this movie because it's got women crowd yeah. sort of latched on this and said, hey, someone famous from the Internet agrees with us. And now he's kind of like been been painted with that brush, which yeah. is unfortunate and uh, is kind of the, you know, a reason why you look both ways before you run out into traffic on the Internet. <laughs> You know, and, and say, it's like, hey, I'm going to jump out into the middle of this hugely controversial thing, but I'm not going to, you know, apparently consider, uh, you know, how this will be read, yeah. which it, it sucks because he was very clearly in the video not talking about, you know, disliking it because of women. And it has, you know, un, you know, a bit unfairly, he has sort of been tagged as the poster boy for this, like, very gamergate Ghostbusters thing that happened. That would be a living uh, which, nightmare for me if I'd been on the at the end of that. If, if I'd had the this um, the 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 odd principle of, right, well, I'm not watching this then, uh, uh, to, to then have people pick that up and go, you see, he hates women too. We totally agree. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, it's, like, second only to Friedrich Nietzsche, who was uh, like, hang on, what have you done, Hitler? Uh, who... <laughs> <laughs> That might be the most off-color fucking joke I've ever made, but um, yeah, just in, in terms of like something considered being used for blind hatred. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I, I don't know his politics. I don't know anything else about it, but I can't imagine that he was necessarily jumping in with the uh, with the scumbags on this one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that that was the the main thing he raised was you know why wasn't this a sequel in instead of. Uh, of a re- of a remake, and hmm. you know, I think it would have been better received by. I don't think we would have ever seen this level of business there, because yeah. even if you're someone who doesn't have a problem with, uh, and you shouldn't have a problem, but even if you're someone who doesn't have an issue with the the recasting or diversity or whatnot. When a remake of a classic comes out, the first like visceral thing, you know, that everyone who loves the original feels is, oh God, is, is the is the original over now? You know, is this, uh, you know, it's gonna suck now to have to say, oh yeah, I really like RoboCop. I mean the original. Mm-hmm. You know, like like you have this thing hanging over it otherwise. And of course, that's not true because no one remembers that they remade RoboCop two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, 
Oh, having said that, see, uh, we, we saw the uh, remake of Total Recall the other day. We're, we're going to mention that every podcast now. It's three in a row we've done so far. That <laughs> makes the new Robocop look like the new Star Trek. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't very good. No, it was entirely pointless. Carry on. Interesting effort, but not, not very good. <laughs> Carry on. It, it's, it's this bizarre thing, but when it comes to something like Ghostbusters, you have... You know, people don't want a classic remade. They don't want to have their singular, you know, memory, like, tainted by something else of it. They kind of want it in a box. Yeah. You know, it, it's sort of like, it's almost like, do I want to do this again? You know, like, maybe once was enough, but... It's already it comes, tainted. Did you see Ghostbusters 2? Yeah, exactly. And I like <laughs> Ghostbusters 2, but my God, that, that is not a classic. But what what nerd culture, you know, will never quite get past, I I don't think, because it's so much a building block of it, is it will, if necessary, take uh, the bad or even sacrifice the good in the name of continuity. (sighs) In in the name of, you know, I think that a lot of – I honestly think that that people are – there are some – people who are very much married to what they think the idea is of the lore of something that they will take a bad sequel that keeps, you know, bringing in the stuff and continuing the story and telling them it's okay. It's okay. That thing you like didn't go away. It's still real. It's still real over a good remake that just starts over. So, for example, at least Star Trek Nemesis, blah, 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 blah. Whatever Star Trek Nemesis did that new Star Trek did not. Yes, exactly. At least this isn't, uh, at at least this still counts in terms of things. And this is all, you know, learned behavior from the comic book universe stuff, you know, where a storyline, you know, this this story that, that, you know, we wrote is one of like the great Batman stories ever, but you need to force it into the continuity of it so that it can still count. Every time anything does change, there's a, not hasty exactly, but somewhere there'll be a line or an explanation that, oh, all that other stuff happened, it's just it was in the next universe over. Or all that stuff happened, it's just that a demon came along and shook everything up and put it put it all back the way it was. That's pretty much what DC right. have been doing, like, once every three <laughs> For years. For years, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I do wonder, actually... The killing jokes uh, still with... happen, don't worry. <laughs> With the whole, You've got to preserve that um, one, that absolute gem. The killing joke has to remain. With the whole remake versus sequel thing, I, I wonder if a big part of why they opted to go for remake rather than sequel is that if you're going to aim at a new audience, you have to do what Star Trek did, uh, what Star Wars did. Um, I think both of them did. Well, yeah, <laughs> quite possibly, but but with um, specifically with um, the Force Awakens, that was one of the criticisms that got levelled very heavily at it. You, okay, you're telling us it's a sequel, but you're pretty much remaking the original story. Yeah. Now it's possible that they looked at it and went, well, all right, yeah, Ghostbusters has got its fan base. But ultimately, we know they're going to come and see it. They're not the people that we're trying to target. And if we want to get a completely new generation on board who might never even have seen the original Ghostbusters, we've got a choice. We can give them a sequel to something that they may never have seen that we're probably going to have to retell the original story anyway. So, well, let's just make it a reboot. Yeah, that, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, like Paul Feig, the director of this, you know, has been was asked this 
multiple times. Well, you know, why not just do a sequel? Because, like, realistically, since Ghostbusters 2 has obviously established that apparently, you know, the people of New York forget the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, so well, we, it, well, it happens every week, so, you know, you're going to People forget they like putting the cat back in the bag. They tire so, of it. Exactly, so that, so that you can have, you know, the same movie again in mm. Ghostbusters 2. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that they they could have easily done that and just said, okay, hey, the Ghostbusters that was around and now it's not, and here's you know these people inheriting it. And he said he specifically didn't want to do that because it's it was important for him to have this be you know that that the the women characters in this make the stuff themselves that they aren't just inheriting you know a whole bunch of stuff that four guys established, which thematically makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I could say he's like, yeah, that that does. That does make sense. Like, if they'd done it the other way, that would have been the first thing everyone complained about, you know, is, well, they're not the real Ghostbusters. They're just inheriting, yeah. you know, the stuff from the originals. So the I get that. recruits to Ghostbusting Academy. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I, I do think that if they had decided to say, okay, this is the continuation of the Ghostbusters mythology, even with, like, a one-line, one-moment thing... Or even make a joke out of it, like 21 Jump Street. <laughs> Spoiler for the end of 21 Jump Street. You know, I think that about 80% of this stuff would have not happened. You still would have had the misogynist guys, but you never would have had the, you know, I guess mainstream of overly obsessive Ghostbusters fandom get swept up in it as well, because yeah. it just would have been, okay, here's a sequel. Uh, there's actually, uh, for me, a huge in-world reason why not to do a sequel. Think about it. It is redonkulous that in 1989, five years after the original Ghostbusters, when the human race has found out that ghosts exist, there is life after death, all of that stuff we've been terrified of is actually quantifiable by science. It's measurable. There are specialists working on it. We can communicate with the dead. That changes the world. Ghostbusters 2 is weak source because it never acknowledges this. And I like Ghostbusters 2. I'll re- reiterate that. The world changes tomorrow if this happens today. And it changes forever. The human race changes. We are defined by our terror of what is or is not waiting for us on the other side. We find out that ghosts exist. That changes the world. So if how the hell do you write a world that exists 32 years after the original Ghostbusters? We are talking some Star Trek shit right there. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. Because think about it. I mean, like, I, you know, like, it's not about catching the ghosts. It's about what we can learn about everything. Suddenly, Ghostbusters isn't just like a ha-ha-ha, ghost, like, exterminators as exorcists or vice versa. It's like, let's forget comedy. <laughs> This is about the meaning of life. And then your entire comedy premise is ruined because it's become a completely different film. It has to start afresh. And the problem is, now they've got to do sequels. Mm. Yeah, and that, that's certainly the problem with the first one. Mm-hmm. You know, of, of the one is that, you know, they get to Ghostbusters 2, and it's like, okay, what do we want? Now, granted, you know, I don't think anyone really wanted to do Ghostbusters 2 yeah. for reasons other than to get paid on that one, but it, it does become a, you know, it's like, okay, what are we going to do here? Uh, I don't know. How about the first movie again where they go into 
you know, be, because otherwise you have to do a thing where, okay, we're dealing with, with, it's, it's like doing Independence Day too. You know, it's like, okay, you know, the whole world is a completely different, you know, place after this. So you got to think of all of this stuff, hmm. you know, what, what the hell happens to organized religion after Ghostbusters? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's, it's difficult to do, you know, this is, especially since they, according to your theory, they just killed God. Or yeah, they certainly right. sent him back to his own his own dimension, and he ain't coming back. Right, and and they've you know created this whole uh, paradox there, and like in in the new one, you know, they have like this, which I don't know necessarily works like logic wise, but this idea that in this one they're saying up front, no, the the government and the military know this is going on, and they're covering it up and telling everyone that the Ghostbusters are fake to, you know, so that's like their, their excuse to have, you know, more sequels after this is to just set up this idea that people are getting like, uh, like fooled or whatnot sure. about this, which I don't know works, but like it, it makes as much sense as you know, erasing the whole planet's memory in the Men in Black movies. So, yeah, yeah. And at some point, you're going to have to examine the fact that people are on some level choosing to be fooled. And are we going to accept an entire species that's opting to be that dumb? Depends if Trump gets elected. <laughs> oh, politics! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. There's... Um, there, there are good reasons to. I mean, the, the other thing is, you know, back to the the possibility of it, it being a uh, a sequel. It would kind of have been, you know, nice. Not so nice that all of these issues we've just addressed would not be, you know, covered in in it, and and would unfortunately would scupper the chances of turning this into a world that's even vaguely related to our own, where the concept of death is as being more of a passageway. Um, but it just would have been lovely to see sort of, you know, ancient Ray and ancient Winston just kind of imparting, you know, worn old knowledge to these bright eyed, young, middle aged ladies. <laughs> but um, I mean, I, what we're effectively talking there is extreme Ghostbusters. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, it, it, it's not like it's not been done with starting with the blank slate. They at least have potential to make this their own. They, you know, there's. The sequels could go in any one of a bunch of different directions. And for the love of Christ, with that little stinger at the end, Goza, who is kind of like Cthulhu, who is kind of like Thanos. I'm assuming Goza's coming for his Infinity Gems. <laughs> um, it was, it's yeah. Zool. Oh, it's Zool, yeah. But Zool is the Herald of Goza. It's the Herald of Goza, yeah. 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 But I mean, like, that, that means that feasibly the sequel could just be another retread of Ghostbusters. It's a real pothole they could fall down. That means mm. that all four Ghostbusters movies will be the same movie. Yeah, it, it's like, I, I, I thought that was cute at the end to say, it's like, okay, hey, yeah, the, the thing you remember from the other movies will be, you know, in the next one, but it's, I'm like, okay, you know, let's, okay, let's do it, but let's see something else with it, yeah. because, like, if if this if this is what they're thinking of doing, it's like, okay, now that we've got our origin story out for, for the new guys, let's, here comes the real one, just because I'm sick of that anyway, I'm, I'm yeah. getting a little tired of, you know, everything being pr so presumed to have a sequel that the first movie is retroactively all just, you know, set up, you That's know, yeah. look, mm -hmm. looking at you, Batman versus Superman, mm -hmm. longest trailer for a movie that they hadn't officially decided to make yet. You know what? That, I have uh, had so much fun kicking the shit out of BVS all till year. Yeah, it's um, the gift. So I'm given. It is. Uh, but I mean that. 
It kind of like imagine if the sixth Terminator film came out and it was like, hey, guess what? We're pretty much retreading the first Terminator again. It's like oh, seriously, yeah. John Connor, Sarah Connor, some time traveler, a Terminator comes back, Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. Uh, like the only one of those films that tried to do anything different is Salvation, and I hate Salvation. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> yeah, um, like. There is merit to doing something different, and people, mm. people, I don't, I don't know. There's an argument for another time. The Ghostbusters franchise is now wide open, depending on how successful this film does. I think yeah. it'll do it'll do enough bank to get a sequel, most definitely. Yeah, uh, well, and, it, it it opened in first, which is yeah. on, at least on Friday, which is very important because if the story on Monday is that overall it's number two next to oh, The Secret guess. Life of Pets, yeah. then that's going to be a talking point, that this never got above number two. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> that's not a spot you want to be in, I guess. No. Actually, speaking of, speaking of success, in the grand tradition of uh, tie-in franchise movies, we went straight to Toys R Us after this, you know, because we were all starry-eyed, and, and I, I knew what I was going to get, but I just wanted to go in there and, and, and see what was in there anyway. Sharon took a photograph of the Ghostbusters section. It's just Mr. Stay Puft. Little, little 10-inch figure of Mr. Stay Puft, you know, on a shelf, surrounded by friggin' Scooby-Doo and Man of Steel, and um, the Care Bears section was slightly bigger than Ghostbusters. You see yeah. a Care Bears movie coming out this summer? Of no, no, no. <laughs> fucking appalling. I, I don't know how this is in America. I know that the um, the female Ghostbusters figures by Mattel uh, were launched in uh, uh, stores and were already having a couple of bucks knocked off before the film even came out because they just were not flying off shelves. Uh, and yeah. um, that the male Ghostbusters figures also got uh, launched. They've been available through MattyCollector.com beforehand and were selling better than the females. But we mm. couldn't even get the girls in this country. There was just Mr. Stay Puft. Uh, there was a Rowan figure behind it, that dragon thing, and they're all just like the same, like ghost figures in the same scale. A bunch of little mini figures, the blind bag ones you get, and then there's the Lego Ecto One, right? You know, just above the original Lego Ecto One. What the hell? Mm. Such a lack of guts and a lack of forth, like that, like, just pushing forwards uh, with just like merchandising. If you if you're gonna do Ghostbusters. Like, the first film, they didn't do the merchandising because they didn't realize what a huge hit it was going to be. Like, a year after that, once they got all the deals signed away, it was just toys left, right, and center. I want a PKE meter. I cannot believe that this film came out and didn't flood Toys R Us with loads of stuff. Like, like the studio, it was Sony, wasn't it? It was so scared of having a... Roland Emmerich's Godzilla on their hands, where they to yeah. the toys just sat on pegs all summer, making them look shit. That they were like, well, let's just wait. Thus not capitalizing on everyone. Like, every little girl coming out of there going, Daddy, buy me a Ghostbusters costume. I will, honey. As soon as they make them. Because Lyra wanted one. And let me tell you, folks, Lyra loved this movie. She was <laughs> dancing throughout this movie. <laughs> little girls loving Ghostbusters is the best fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah, I the, the the merchandise has been weird on this because the merchandise is the only reason this exists. Yeah, like like the the, the reason to bring this back. Like I'm sure they they tried and everybody had the best of intentions. The reason they wanted to bring this back was because everyone remembers that Ghostbusters unexpectedly became a you know ten year merchandising juggernaut. Yeah, and they'd like to have it back. <laughs> and uh, 
and the fact that they've sort of like slowed the the rollout on this one. Now, granted, there's been the the action figure thing mm. is not what it was in 1986. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's a different world now. You know, now if you want to sell something based on Ghostbusters, you make an app afterwards, nice. and and that becomes like the big thing. But yeah, it does seem weird that they that they have staggered the the rollout on on this. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's unusual. And I mean, granted, who knows how well it's going to sell, you know, do people come out of this movie really into it? And then they also immediately need an action figure of mm-hmm. all of these, uh, these characters, you know, the, the action figures even came later on, uh, on, on the, the original. Yeah. It was like no, they, early 87. Yeah. They, they hadn't really decided on, uh, the, the real Ghostbusters designs yet to make into yeah. the figures. Whereas they had like the, okay, here's the, the ghost shooting toys and stuff out right away because they knew, okay, at the very least the play things mm-hmm. will move. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, do you remember the debacle last year over like everyone was looking for Ray figures and you couldn't find them? Um, yeah. and they were like, no, no, we, 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 Hasbro were, certain that kylo ren would just be flying off shelves and so they, they were throwing out kylos and pose and uh you know do you remember there was that like tweet going around of that like it was a set of some of the first like it was like a, a set of seven oversized force awakens figures and it was like poe and finn and kylo and a stormtrooper and a tie fighter pilot no ray in sight yeah and it was like jesus christ and then they were like, oh, yeah, we, uh, we underestimated how popular Ray would be. She's the goddamn Luke in this one. Are you kidding me? So I can imagine Mattel or Hasbro, whoever had the license, were just like looking at this and going, there's four Rays in this. What are we going to do? Sell Mr. Stay Puff. That's all we can do. Well, you know, and the, the thing is, it's a double-edged thing because they, they, it's, it's not like they're making these decisions without data to back them up. Yeah. And, and the problem here is it's like, yes, you know, when you look at, like, the actual sales numbers, statistically, the, the female members of, you know, these franchise things tend to be on the, the lower selling end of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's necessarily still the case when there are no male figures to sell. Yeah. As, as well, is the case of this I one. I think the Kevins would be I, flying off the shelves. <laughs> I would suspect, in all fairness, that the reason that the female characters of these um, sets tend not to do so well is because they are very often background characters. They're not front and centre people. Well, there's only one of them, like Black Widow, and they're short packaged. And, oh, well, for some reason, they're selling a lot less than Iron Man. You don't say. Mm-hmm. Also, it especially doesn't help that she hasn't got her own movie yet, either. Mm-hmm. And, and you also have the issue of when these things it, – it's one thing for, like, the collectibles market. Hmm. You know, if, it, if it's like, you know, adults buying these things, you know, I'd love to see the data because I'm sure the the uh, the ratio is a lot better mm-hmm. when it comes to that. But when it comes to like, you know, the OK, here's, you know, the the, the six dollar action figure for the, the kid, you know, you've got like some of that gets bought by kids with their own money. Yeah. Uh, some of that gets bought by, you know, mommy, take me to the store. But a lot of the sales on those things tend to come down to. You know, I'm bringing this to a, a kid's party or something like that. Yeah. And that's where, you know, because you have adults buying it based on what they think the kid will want. And that's where you get into like the going down the boy's aisle, going down the girl's aisle. I know nothing about this child, but, uh, you know, the, the gender of. So let me, you know, just grab something based on, you know, limited cultural understanding of stuff. So, you know, I mean, you're dealing with that when it comes to this. 
I I can't say what what the prospects of the 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 figure sales on this one is. I really I don't know if it's still that world. Mm. You know, it is for like for something like Star Wars where toy buying is a tradition. Yes, absolutely. You know, that's part of the Star Wars experience. I don't necessarily know that you know there's like seven year olds in any great number out there who, you know, who are saying, you know, I want to collect Ghostbusters figures as well, because that hasn't been a thing for their entire life. Yeah. But it, it can't become a thing if they're not there. Exactly. Possibly. And the, 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 the idea of Hasbro going, oh, we weren't sure people would want Ray. And they even hid behind this bullshit of, oh, we didn't want to spoil it, question mark, that she was an important character in the film. They made fucking figures of every fucking politician in episodes yeah. two and three every blue skin gleek glop alien got a fucking figure and they haven't made a they didn't make rays in anywhere near enough number that sorry for swearing and going mental it's just it's <laughs> such bullshit coming from hasbro yeah that was that 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 was that was a miss that was- <laughs> but the the when the answer to the question is money they will always rather go with the the sure thing than yeah. take a chance on anything new and this is is why Turtles iteration after Turtles iteration is there. The Turtles section, by contrast, by the way, in Toys R Us, oh, was, was so huge. And you could buy Lyra like seven actually, different Leonardos. It, well, yeah, that's the thing. Even Lyra pointed out the fact that they've got three different types of Turtle franchise going mm. in terms of, of what the, the model styles are. What's the third? There's the movies, there's the, uh, the yep. Nickelodeon show. What's the third? Uh, the third is just some random crappy mask set that doesn't appear to be based on anything in particular other than, you know, this is Raph because he's got a red mask. There is a third. It's actually Turtles Classics, which are mostly made for adult collectors, but they weren't in our Toys R Us. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Karen? Oh, speaking of masks, one of my favourite Star Wars uh, toy tales is, uh, um, you know, as is tradition, the uh, uh, Star Wars toys came out way before the movie. And uh, so, you know, people were ordering in in droves. And uh, Mom got a couple of Captain Phasma masks for her uh, two boys. And then, like, they were voice, they had voices in them. And so the boys were, like, pressing the buttons. And then a woman's voice was coming out, would not have bought if new was woman. So, yeah, she was upset, and her boys were walking around talking in women's voices, and that, that did not make them happy. So, yeah. Anyway, should we talk about Ghostbusters 2016? Yes, let's. Okay. So, um, it being a remake, what they uh, they start off with is re- effectively replicating and remaking uh, a lot of the classic scenarios from the original film. So, uh, in place of the library, you get the Aldrich, Eldritch Mansion uh, with Gabe from The Office, who... Straight away, some of the first lines in this was like, oh, okay, so they're not even going to like do the crappy Hollywood, like, sort of like trying to build you up on this. This is funny from the get go. Uh, I don't know if you actually heard, but he, he was talking about the uh, the Eldritch Mansion and he said uh, it had, uh, it was the first, well, one of the world's first facial B days and an anti Irish uh, fence. Security fence. Security <laughs> fence. Yeah. Which just from the get go, they're going, right, this is a comedy, folks. And then he's talking about uh, P.T. Barnum first had the idea to enslave element elephants, elephants. in this, this room. <laughs> so straight away, you're already in a world where people say things that are funny. And I, I think I just started laughing there and didn't stop until the end, which is a really great sign because, um, I mean, it didn't make me laugh as, say, as much as Deadpool. Uh, and uh, in the uh, Paul Feig. Um, a Melissa McCarthy trilogy so far. Did he do The Heat? 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just toss the heat aside because the heat is goddamn not anywhere near as good as Bridesmaids and Spy. It's. I think yeah. Ghostbusters still comes third for me, Sharon. Yes, definitely. Uh, Bob. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say it's it's on the, the low end. Yeah, uh, but I mean that's only testament to the fact that Bridesmaids and Spy are really really good. In fact, I think I, I saw Spy um, shortly before or after Spectre, and I was like, oh, go home, James Bond. There's a new spy in town. We still haven't reviewed Spy, have we? No. Let's let's do Bridesmaids and then Spy at some point, Sharon. Uh, okay. But, but yeah, the um, like straight away from the get-go, and I, I, I love those uh, movies, and effectively you're, you're being re-delivered those scenarios. Was it enjoyable to watch them sort of uh, replayed in a different way or um, would you rather have they, they just basically just done a completely new movie? Do you mean would it have been better if they'd done a ghost catching movie that wasn't Ghostbusters? Well, that, a... No, it's, a, it's a fair question and that yeah, did yeah. occur to me at one point. You know, could they have just done an original um, yeah, it is, it is possible to like to, to remake Ghostbusters. Would it actually have been better for them to go right? Okay, so we'll, we won't just straight up do the same beats. You know, can we do Ghostbusters without doing Ghostbusters? Personally, I, I felt quite comfortable watching these scenes play out and going, oh, okay, that's okay. At least up until the point when they got to the uh, the metal festival. Mm-hmm. Mm. So you're talking still with the Ghostbusters brand, but yeah. not following the uh, the, the pacing of the original story quite so much. Yeah. I think on on that count, I would say that um, very early on in the film, as the characters were being introduced, I was I was kind of thinking in the back of my head, okay, which, which character is this parallel with? Is this Ray? Is this Peter? Is this Egon? Mm. Um, but very quickly. I reached the conclusion that that was a pointless exercise and that they were very much their own characters. And I think they, they, but they balanced it nicely in the sense that they still had elements of those characters, but they kind of almost like they had them on cards and they dished them out. It wasn't, you didn't have a perfect replica of Egon, but, um, you know, Holtzman has his, weird science obsessed uh, detachment and um uh Aaron's got his kind of introspective nerdiness mm. um and it, it just it seemed like the the characters were there in spirit but they hadn't literally just replicated them template for template which i thought was a really good way to go because it meant i i stopped thinking that really quickly and just accepted it as its own thing that reminds me of uh, force awakens Actually, because uh, while I did mention that Ray is the Luke Skywalker type, she she is not the same temperament as Luke Skywalker at all. There's a bit of Han in all of them. There's a bit of Leia in all of them. There's a bit of Luke in all of them. Um, so uh, yeah, I think they sort of disseminated the the existing four amongst these four in different uh, 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 measures. But also they they did give them I- enough of their own personality to like. It is beyond a doubt Melissa McCarthy was playing her Melissa McCarthy type character. Um, actually quite reined in as well like she could have really been abrasive like there are times in spy in particular where she's really a lot and you kind of got you you've got to accept that she's going to be this foul-mouthed i do wonder if what, what if this had been rated r as well yeah i i, th- I think that would have been a, a different sort of thing i don't think it should have been rated r the original's not yeah no I, it, well, it's it's kids yeah, yeah. you'd be excluding kids the Terminator franchise would have been a good series to keep R-rated, uh, but yeah. Ghostbusters definitely PG PG thirteen. 
but yeah, the actual characters themselves, we we, we can talk about that. Uh, ultimately, that's that's what gives playing out these original scenarios in a slightly different way a new scope because they're not just reacting in the exact same way as the original characters. Oh, one thing I absolutely loved was their enthusiasm. The, the it kind of sucked you in uh, after they first got slimed by that horrible murderous uh, ghost at the be, uh, beginning they come out and they're sort of like shouting into the camera it's really yeah. hard not to get swept up in that yeah that's a good bit yeah the, the first two acts are good there's really nothing wrong with the first two acts of this movie yeah agree you know, other than being like uh you know, like, is it like the best thing I've ever seen? No, no, it's not. But it's, you know, the character stuff works. It's fun watching them interplay, you know, and that scene especially is like, okay, yep, yeah, this works. This is, th- this is doing its own thing. This, this is what this would be today. You know, there would be YouTube videos of it and there, and there, there would be there. And, you know, um, um, Christian Wiig is, is like super excited and it's like, okay, all right, this is, this, this I get this. I get where this is going. I like these characters and, and I, I, I agree. I think the it, a really smart decision was to not, ha- especially in mitigating the fan stuff, is to not, you know, explicitly say, okay, this is female Egon, female Peter, etc. Because yeah. that not only wouldn't have worked in the movie, you know, it would have been, you know, you want to talk, you know, angry fanboys, you know, now, you know, imagine in that case where they're saying, you know, these are literally the characters being replaced, they, they, they would have, you know, had like a, a brain embolism or something. Yeah. Uh, female Peter also would be quite terrifying. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I think they probably need Kim Cattrall for that. Yeah. That would be a, a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, uh, also like Peter barely works in 1984 because he's, he's kind of a, a sleazebag. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's only Murray's charm that keeps him likable. I, I actually recall like when I was a kid going, See now, Peter Venkman, he's the kind of uh, guy that girls react to. And uh, yeah, no, someone should have taken me aside and said, no, don't don't be like Venkman. For the love of Christ, don't be like Venkman. Yeah. <laughs> girls don't like that at all. And uh, I, mean, I, I could have gotten my cues from the fact that Dana seems to be repulsed by him over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> he's, but, not, um, he's not a role model. Yeah, no. Um, Although but, he, he is exactly the guy that 80s movies really wanted people to accept as as a as a role model yeah or, or at least like because because that guy you know it's peter and ghostbusters mahoney and police academy yeah uh you know ted dancing and everything <laughs> you know we is, started is, watching well, van wilder for the first time yeah uh the <laughs> other day had to turn it off when it got to the farting stripper i was like wow deadpool the college is is not good to watch Mm. Did no like it. I mean, so yeah. So the modern day version of Venkman, uh, that's just about like because he's so kind of like progressive in his uh, like you know the the the, uh, the the background of his character, that you can stomach. Yeah, yeah. Just enough. Just about. I mean, it's difficult to see like how many like additional movies he could really stand up to in that. But, uh, but yeah, also, so. the other thing about his character being as sleazy as he is is he makes the other guys look really good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, uh, Ray was always the most uh, enthusiastic in the, uh, the the first films, and and so uh, that being, I think his closest analog is probably Abby in this, and uh, her actually being a little bit aloof at times kind of mitigates that her her being just like a straight up Ray, and um, yeah. 
the second time there was a, a it felt like you know if you watch uh, Abbott and Airy, there's there's a lot more kind of going on you know between them and there's quite a bit of hurt uh, under the bridge there it's uh, that I appreciate the fact that they actually um, carved those two out. Yeah, it's it's a different thing in this. Whereas in the original is a true ensemble movie. Yeah, you know, in in that there really is no one who's like in the main story of that. Yeah. A little bit Peter because he has a B story. Yeah, you know, so he has slightly more screen time because of the business with Sigourney Weaver. But in this one, this is very much this is primarily about Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, and the other two are you know developed enough, but they are more extreme, funny characters. To, to bounce off of the other two. Yeah. To, uh, also, um, Paddy there, being there to be able to be uh, relatable. First time around, I found Paddy a little bit much. A few too many, um, you know, loud, sassy black woman tropes. But she's actually, like, I, I like the fact that she's a historian. I like the fact that she's knowledgeable and, um, you know, is able to kind of bring them back down to earth. Kind of fulfilling the, the role that Winston was never really given the screen time to do all that much in either film. Mm. Well, she's the she's the point of connection. She's what gives them a link mm. to the city because ultimately they're in, albeit that the the science institute that um, Abby and Holtzman are working at is not the big you know behind Ivy Bush's academia that um, that Erin comes out of, but they are distanced from the the people as a whole and patty gives them that link that means that when they do go out there and save the city it's it, it's something they have a stake in it you know it's not they're not just trying to prove themselves and nothing else there's actually a, a purpose for them to go out and yeah. um and uh, serve and protect as it were but this i mean one thing that i i would say about why i i actually really like the fact that it's a, a group of women rather than um doing a sequel that then has a token girl in it is it's what i keep saying about female characters one is no good two is better Three or more is brilliant because you can have women with different personalities, which guess what? In the real world happens sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's four women in this and they all look at the world slightly differently, which is a bit more realistic than, well, we have one chick and she doesn't mind the fact that everybody's hitting on us. So why do you? Yeah, it's. Like, structurally, execution-wise, I'd call this an average movie, but it does a lot of little things very right. Yeah. And, like, you know, one, like one of them being that there there is no romantic subplot in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. There, there's only, Now, granted, some of that is because... At I, least I, not I, that Kevin's aware of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is an Aaron's head, but it, it goes no further than that. <laughs> But but even then the, the the movie doesn't seem to hold Kevin up as a relationship prospect to anyone. He's yeah. he's a decoration. Yeah. He, he's he's literally nice to have around. Yeah, it would be very difficult to be in a relationship with Kevin unless you were as dangerously dim as uh, as he is. In which case you might be a, you know a danger to other people because you'd be doing silly things together. Right. Um, <laughs> So yeah, you, you, he either needs someone who can look after him or to join him in his um, his whimsy. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that you know, Paul Feig has now said that the studio, you know, like would not let him, uh, you know, go go where he wanted to go with with Holtzman, which is, uh, Kate McKinnon's character, which is unfortunate. I was just about to say, uh, uh, Holtzman is 
plot-wise, uh, at least behind the scenes, uh, is, is a, a gay character, and uh, they, yeah. um, there's no possibility that that could possibly ever be in a, a Ghostbusters film. You know, when this becomes a thing that just happens in ten years' time, decisions like this will seem so close to being able to be progressive, but not quite. Well, also, it's impossible to miss in the actual movie. You know, she, they, at one point, she's staring at Abby's tits. Yeah, it, the, the, yeah. This this really is kind of the entire film. You know, the, the, this 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 is. You know, I mean, granted, you know, every other scene is okay. Nothing funny is happening in this scene, so Kate McKinnon do something. You know, like do 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 something in the background. So she's, you know, this this is a constant thing happening. But it's it's. It's it's nice that it's not uh, the 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 defining trait of her character, but it would have been nice for them to just you know mention offhand yeah. that this is the that, that that this is what's going on in the movie. But uh, you know there there's no love interest subplot which is you know revolutionary for anything. You know it it, it shouldn't have to be, but it's not even like a thing that comes up in the movie that you know that 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 this might be an issue. Having said that about Holtzman, she's. Probably my favorite character. I mean, I, 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 she's, she's certainly not the most fleshed out uh, relative to the others, but just in terms of just watchability, she, yeah. she's up there with your Starks and your Wilsons for uh, for just being able to just enjoy everything she says and does in in a way that like it's almost screen hogging. There were t- like during the mayor situation, I was watching her like a hawk. She keeps fucking with everyone in the room, and the whole conversation keeps getting derailed by her. I mean, which is great, because it means that the next time you watch it, when you know exactly what's going on, she'll still be entertaining. Mm. There's also the matter of the speech she gives at the end, uh, pretty much her only dramatic work. But because we've waited so long for something like this to happen, McKinnon's delivery is disarming. I'd love to see this character explored in future. And I think we're going to. We're going to get that, because she's already the fan favorite. Mm. One of the things I really like about her, actually, is that she gives no stuffs. Like Egon, she does not concern herself with what other people think of her she just she has her thing to do and she gets on and does it and that is an admirable thing to have on screen yeah it's it's uh it's it's terrific the temptation to let her run away with the movie must have been Mm. incredible like in the editing because that this being very clearly a movie that's kind of built in post out of improv yeah. which I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of execution-wise, and it's why it's too long, and it's why the third act doesn't really work, because there's nothing to build from. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you know that there are just hours and hours and hours of alternate takes of, <laughs> of her being weird and doing strange, goofy things in the background. You know, and it, the, the temptation just throw up their hands and say, you know what, okay, this is her movie, let her run away with it. We might as well, because after this movie, she's going to be in everything. Yeah, so. the Holtzman cut. She'll be the female Chris Pratt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't the least bit surprised because when I watched those god-awful trailers, she was the only bit uh, of them that was like, hey, you know what, I'll keep an eye on her because she seems great. Um, yeah. and, uh, and then, oh, actually, when the European trailer finally emerged and Kevin became a character. Uh, yes. Yeah. Who knew Hemsworth would actually have a gift for comedy? And he really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, supposedly he's been trying to get to, to, to get someone to let him do that for a while. Yeah. I can see why he'd be frustrated constantly playing Thor and eating potatoes. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things you, you have to look at this guy because you have to assume that this is a guy who knew realistically that he was going to be a movie star and so far is, but has kind of 
not been utilized to maybe the best of his abilities. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to wonder, you know, because the looks aren't going to last forever. You know, eventually it's not going to be it's going to be a lot harder to stay in that kind of shape for 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 years on end. You don't want to end up like Stallone and look like you're made of meat. Right, right. And, you know, you want to be able to, to get that out there. You know, you don't want to be one of these guys who, you know, is an action star and then drops off the planet and then comes back in their 40s and 50s and, you know, now has a little comedy and everybody goes, oh, wow, we never knew they could act. Yeah. You know, and right now he's kind of stuck in the Thor movies, which I think are are are, are both fine, but they're not really – I don't think they've really nailed what Thor is supposed to be. They're not Captain America good by any means. No, and you know they're, they're sort of. I don't think they they thought much about what they wanted this character to be outside of being for a time the designated cute one, yeah. and then they got all the way to Avengers and found out, oh hey, they're all the cute ones. So, <laughs> what, so so what what are we going to do with this guy? Yeah, it's uh, Thor peaked at the very end of uh, Avengers one when he's uh, you know taking Loki back. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, um, the, the director of what we do in the shadows for Thor Ragnarok, inspired choice, could yes. could end up being good. Holy, I hope for that one. Um, but yeah, as Kevin, there's almost a, a satirical element in there that he's like, oh yeah, so you want me to just sort of stand in the corner and be pretty, and you're sort of you know, employing me for that. Um, in the means, just the the little bits that he was doing were cracking the audience up. Except for the guy behind us. For some reason, the guy behind us was a big fan of physical comedy. So when we saw that, um, was it Chet and Jim get dates or something? There was a trailer for that. What was it called? Uh, oh, uh, Mike and Mike and somebody need wedding dates. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, this guy was just slapping his thigh at all of these sort of, you know, getting hit in the face and falling over gags. I was like, yep, yep, this is going to suck. Our entire viewing experience is going to suck because this guy and his idiot wife just like, oh, 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 oh. so every single pratfall in this film ghostbusters was they love it when people fall over on their backs yes which there wasn't that much of in the original ghostbusters and you know they were fine there was also a kid in front of us who kept putting up their hands and clapping over and over again just slow clapping and um we didn't really want to say anything but it was like wow between you and these guys in front who are just like oh now that is comedy um (laughs) it it made for a quite a uh a difficult juggling act to try and stay in the middle and stay focused. Mm. But, um, Sharon, I can't remember. There was a guy, when I saw Terminator Genesis, there was a guy who just kept laughing at everything. Like it, that is not a funny movie. And he was laughing at everything. So yeah, it was that same kind of, <laughs> Oh, that was it. Yeah. There's a guy behind me laughing at everything. And there was a guy to my left belching just every few minutes, just burp. Burp, that was burp. It. it was madness to watch that film. The, the laughing at everything, though, that it's really difficult to know how to handle it when somebody's laughing at a movie because hmm. it's. Well, like, it was quiet they, during the actual wordplay. Yeah, if they're just talking, then you can ask them to be quiet because there's obviously that's nothing to do with the film, apart from the girls who were sat next to me where. Um, there were there were three three teenage girls sat next to me, and two of them clearly had never seen the original Ghostbusters, but one of them had. So every time anything happened that was a reference to the original movie, she was explaining it to them. That was Annie <laughs> Part. She was Janine in the first one. That was the yeah. receptionist. Yeah, the, that was pretty much it the whole way through. Brilliant. 
that, that so yeah kind of just like, okay girls we're going to go see Ghostbusters what are you like uh, 22 years old you never seen Ghostbusters right well tonight you me we're going to sit down we're going to watch Ghostbusters in preparation for seeing Ghostbusters I mean that's what a good friend should do that way uh, their yeah. friends go in fresh having just seen Ghostbusters and going oh god they've gotten old but at least they know what they're talking about when they, when they see it. How the hell do you come and see this film without ever seeing Ghostbusters? It's not like it's hard to find. Anyway. <laughs> but it did reiterate for me why I don't like going to the cinema anymore. Yeah. <laughs> at, least you did, at least the belching guy didn't turn up. Um, That's actually, true. And, and also, like someone pointed out that... <laughs> it's a long flight all the way to England just to uh, just to watch Terminator Genesis. Um, so actually, on that, that note, somebody was uh, pointing out on Twitter that uh, you know, hey, what if if you go to the uh, cinema this weekend to see Ghostbusters, probably going to be a pretty good audience. You're not going to get horrible, malevolent man children there because they're all swearing off it. Rowan as a villain. Like like a straightforward, straight, like obvious, like we know who's going to hate this kind of movie. We're going to make a caricature of him. On the one hand, I was like, well done. Okay, I see what you did there. On the other hand, I was like, that's a little bit kind of broad brush strokes. But mm. carry on. Uh, what did you guys think? There's a lot of little things right with me. There's a lot of little things wrong with it. Mm-hmm. If you want to like put like a, I think a pin in a big, huge, like red circle, you know, missed opportunity. This does not work. Part of this movie that like definitively makes it not as good as the original. Mm-hmm. Is it in the original? When Act Three kicks in and suddenly the 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 mythos stuff that's been a joke in the background leaps into the front of the movie and says, "Okay, time to get serious." Now it's about this, or at least as serious as Ghostbusters gets. The first one gets better once you know Gozer and everything shows up in the speak. Like as the as soon as Sigourney Weaver gets like pulled into the closet, suddenly it's like, "Okay, now you know the the A game of the movie has arrived." All right. But I think part of the reason for that is that the the big bad for the original is this huge, uh, you know, uh, Cthulhu-like, ignores humankind because it's too tiny and not worthy of, of his attention, and that's why he's basically here to crush everything, because he's massive and we can't possibly comprehend his uh, behavior or motivations. Whereas you bring this down to one guy who's pissed off because he's been bullied his whole life, it's that will only take you so far unless what you plan to do is really explore that character and why he's he's got to that stage. And um, I, I mean, my thought for how they could really have expanded on that is have something to do with like there was a life that he really really wanted that he never got because you know too weedy to get in with the jock crowd so he got pushed in with the nerd crowd and pigeonholed his whole life now he's got the body of chris hemsworth he actually gets an opportunity to do the thing he really wants to do like say for example dance in musical theater and you know have that be a conversation but there wasn't i mean i was expecting when he um got to the bit where he was actually trying to create the vortex that it was going to turn out that there was this um uh, this massive extra dimensional being that had been using him and had convinced him that by doing this, um, he would become great. And, you know, he'd basically been manipulated the whole time. But 
or you know just just have that that storyline where you summon up a great big monster and oh guess what you can't control it now it's actually here but the fact that the book stopped with him i felt kind of diminished it a bit yeah i really have to believe because otherwise it's just awful awful screenwriting that that was the plan up until like the very very end of making this movie mm. Because, especially because he even does the choose the form of the monster thing that Go- yeah, that Gozer yeah. does in the first movie, which doesn't make a lot of sense given his character because nothing does. Mm-hmm. And the the whole end of the movie feels completely reshot. Like yeah, oh, there, there's a lot of editing issues with it. If you actually sit sit it down and let's let's go through it uh, scene by scene, it's like why this does not necessarily lead on to this scene. Yeah, like, but if you think about it, yeah, that whole t- uh, him saying "you choose what form I take," that's you can read that as he doesn't know who he is. He's so yeah. used to other people telling him who he is, he genuinely doesn't know who to be at that point. If they were going to develop the character, sorry, Bob, you were saying which they didn't. Yes, sorry, Bob, carry on. No, 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 no. It's it's it's, it's fine. It's it's like the if you look in the background, like there's these like. It's a, a detail that all of the ghosts are like, you know, from different historical periods of New York, which, okay, fine, you know, is an effects thing. But like, especially during the end, there's this whole business where uh, Times Square has been like morphed back into 1970s Times Square. No explanation. I was going to ask you about that because I didn't even notice the first time around. Because, of course, it's always New York to me. Which must have been an expensive like pass to doing the effects, but has not come up at all and it it feels like that like blue mist stuff that a lot of the ending takes place in is like concealing the details of it like this was an effect that we did and then uh, said okay we need to we need to cover that up so people aren't asking why the live nude girl signs are back and like the the Macy's parade float thing stays in but it's yeah. weirdly it's specifically like the like early 30s Macy's floats Mm. for no particular reason. And And Erin's separation from them doesn't seem to really be warranted. Like, she goes and tries to warn the mayor, and then she comes back. It can't just be for that moment, right? Sure. Yeah. There's there's a missing especially because when they when they pull them out of the hotel after Rowan kills himself and they're gonna cover this up again they they left in a shot where Kristen Wiig is is looking back and looking like down about herself and you know throughout the whole movie we've had this recurring theme of her you know I mean they they've already gotten Bill Murray killed mm. you know it, oh yeah that that led to nothing by the way that actually could have been lifted out of the whole film and it had no knock-on effect with the rest of, of uh, proceedings. It just seemed to be the fact that, like, we got us some Bill Murray! And, like, Bill insisted we kill him in this film so that he could never be brought, brought back. Well, throughout the movie, it, it makes sense as part of her character that gets dropped in that mm. she's constantly trying to get validation from everyone else as opposed to, you know, she wants tenure, she wants to be respected, right. they yeah. need to find physical evidence, etc., etc. And when they're pulling them out of the hotel, and when they, the, they're they covering it up again, and Rowan is dead, and it looks like the movie's over, they cut to another shot of her looking back, and it's like, okay, we're going to do the, the same scene as Bill Murray again, where she screws everything up by trying to prove, yeah. by trying that it was real and this and then in the very next scene the others are hanging out in the fire uh, in the Chinese restaurant and uh, Melissa McCarthy we hear that she's down about something because they're trying to make her eat and uh, Kristen Wiig is sitting at home looking through the textbook and figuring out what Rowan has been doing clearly yeah, they've she, had a fight 
Yeah, that she was supposed to do something that would get the rest of them pissed off and would separate so that she can come back and have the big oh. hero moment. She kills the save them, which is they've said that there's going to be a longer version of the movie on on Blu-ray. Yeah, you know, and you know what? I it's think already, she quit. I, I think she quit. That when she yeah. says at the end, I, I, I'm not going to leave you twice. That could apply to simply, uh, you know, that we broke up as friends a long time ago, and you know, that I, I, I left you there. I think that she basically was like, I'm done with this, and went home, and then started leafing through that book. Because uh, yeah. like, the the, the ghost, the other Ghostbusters don't even react to the sky going dark. It just cuts to the garage door opening, and they're there in the Ecto One, and they just they're moving like. There's no mo- mention of, oh my god, like it's the magic scene from the original Ghostbusters. We got to get us out of there. But uh, yeah. wow. it, you know, they're, they're supposed, to, and it, it goes to I think that there was probably a lot of other plans for what to do with Rowan and what his plan is because even in the movie, granted, you don't, the plot is structured in such a way that you don't need him to be more than, okay, just he's an asshole and he wants to blow up the world. And for some reason, the best way for he figured out to do this was to, was to raise the dead. And, you know, it, it works enough because the movie is so much about the, the character relationships that it takes a little while. And it's like, you know, they haven't, this bad guy doesn't make sense. I, even if I don't need to know why he wants to end the world, it's like, okay, I, we've seen this guy. He's the kind of guy who goes nuts and shoots all his coworkers one day. And instead, for some reason, like why it, it, there's not really a clear reason why he needs to rule the world as opposed to just kill everyone. And also why is, if he's just some random asshole janitor, why does he, why is he a mechanics expert? Did he lose a job? Is he, it's kind of implied that he's like the evil version of someone like uh, Aaron and Abby, you know, apparently he read their book, which means he's now an expert on exactly the same kind of science. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if because, you know, the the backstory scene that we do get for Erin is, you know, that she was, you know, like severely disturbed as a child because she was seeing ghosts and no one believed her. And then she found a friend and it got better. It seems like where this should go, if you're, you know, writing a screenplay with beats and characterization yeah. is to to say, OK, Rowan is the person who had the same experience but never connected with anyone else yeah and like this is only this this is an evil version of that which Maybe is like, yeah, he just lived in the same house after her and and this this all just like a similar ghost haunted him and and uh, everyone called him ghost guy and yeah there's, there's very much the idea that he's kind of like them gone bad yeah well, the, he... the the them passing off as oh he's read this book so now he knows like that completely ignores the fact that holtzman did most of the tech building and she was nothing to do with the writing of that book yeah, it's and you know maybe he's it, it, I don't know. It's not the when you start picking apart the how do they know how to build this stuff, you kind of have yeah. to do that to the original movie too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it's structurally it feels like there's a missing half of an hour of movie. Yeah. That, or at that, least 15 minutes of of it, it feels terrible that they would have sacrificed drama for the action. Well, it's it's the action but it's also the fact that their comedy scenes are the kind of scenes that go on and on and on, funny, but go on and on and on, because unlike, you know, like the the original movie of this was a more 
almost like sketch comedy driven school of comedy filmmaking where it's like, we know the point of the scene. We know the beats, everyone hit your mark and go. Whereas this era of comedy and especially the comedy directors who are beloved by comedians are the ones who say, okay, here's the basic idea of the scenes. You guys just riff and we'll find this scene in the edit. And that's why all of the funny scenes go on and on and they need to go on and on to make sense. And, Eventually you get towards the end, and I can't think of even a good modern recent comedy that doesn't have the problem of, okay, it's act three, stuff needs to happen now just because, because we've spent two acts just riffing in place for a while. Oh, uh, both Jump Street films, I think, are actually extremely tight. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, those are those are well done, but that's yeah. you know when when you're doing like parody, you have to be because they're they're married to the structure of the action films they're making fun of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, I have never seen such a prime example of we were gonna have a dance number, but then we decided against it because test yeah. audiences did not like the dance number. But we'll stick it in the end credits because uh, who doesn't want to see Chris Hemsworth dancing like that? <laughs> you're welcome ladies and um <laughs> it is lovely but I, I like i was gearing up for are they gonna do thriller and they, 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 they sort of like they flung their arms out and it's like if you if you're preying on people's nostalgia thriller came out practically the same time that's the one to do yeah um and i, I don't think anyone would have said i completely hated the brief joyful moment when everyone launched into thriller but that would have made no sense for the Rowan character. Yeah. There is no reason why Rowan makes everything look like the 70s. He is our age. He wasn't around for the 70s. That makes well, no sense for his character. Or, or why he would make everybody disco dance. Well, I, I can see the dance thing al- almost. I can, like, I mean, I mean, it's a comedy, so, you know, if you want to have them dance, they'll, they'll, they'll dance and they'll find a reason. It, it seems like, I mean, they devote two lines of dialogue in a point in the movie where everything is flying right ahead to making sure that we all understand that Rowan is very, very excited to suddenly look like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it seems like, again, if this person had a character, it would be a moment to throw in. It's like, you know, OK, this is the guy he always wanted to be and this is what he thinks he would do. Yeah. You know, like this is if I if, if I'm suddenly, you know, like the coolest guy, this is what I think the coolest guy would do yeah. in, in this instance. However, if he is that inspired and that happy about suddenly having this body, which is significantly an improvement on his own, that kind of doesn't fit with the fact that he then gives Kevin up so quickly. Mm. And and so almost arbitrarily, it's almost like, OK, we're, we're done with that comedy bit with Kevin now. He's just going to let go so we can move on to the next bit. Yeah, I um, when it comes to the the why does it look like the 70s thing? I, I again, I want to know how much of this was rewritten and reshot because I'm getting the sense that even the idea that it's been Rowan's plan all along that he's going to be like king of ghosts for reasons that are completely unexplained. There's. There's nothing in there's nothing in the movie to explain why it is that everyone else who dies either goes away or haunts. And when he dies, he turns into, you know, a supervillain, you know, yeah. with all these powers and the ability to do stuff. I was expecting a Bill Murray ghost. It was like, well, yeah. is that the reason we killed Bill Murray in this film? I, I don't know. That would have been an amusing gag. 
But, uh, you know, like there's this business with like them when they jump into the portal and they come out and the hair is white, which is it's a a weird detail to do and, you know, just use as a bit of physical humor for for slightly later on when they have the jobs going. I really wonder if the if like the bigger plot was supposed to be, oh, the thing that he's going to do with ghosts is. You know, like you're you're upsetting time by having things be alive that are dead and things are, you know, like there's going to be a lot of time travel business and people. Yeah. I mean, they they ask what year it is when they come out of the portal. Yeah. It's twenty forty. Our president is a plant. Yeah. It, you know, great, great stuff. But like what and, and it's like I like when there's so much of this that doesn't make sense mm. that uh, that it, like I'm thinking I'm like, you know, wow, did I not like this movie as much as I thought? But uh, the thing is, it's all so perfunctory, it doesn't actually matter until you start pulling it. And the main difference is, when you go to the original and you start pulling the threads, it's like, oh, actually, no, this all makes sense. You know, they, they really put a lot of thought into how the altar works, who Vince Clortho was, what the problem is with Gozer, you know, where, where all of this stuff fits together, even if it's all just set up for a marshmallow man. See, I, I interpreted the white hair bit as uh, uh, whoever was doing the screenwriting going, there was that bit in Ghostbusters where they went through the portal and the mom came out and she had like the streak of white hair. Let's do that. And they hit straight up oh, yeah. Ghostbusters and Poltergeist confused. <laughs> um, yeah, well, but, well that, yeah. that's a thing that makes sense, though. Yeah. It, I didn't realize what had happened when it, it first came about. I thought they'd got splattered with something that was very similar to the uh, yeah. Stay Puft. Because the guys behind us were like, oh, they've got white hair. Do you see that? They've got white hair. And <laughs> the guy explained to his wife what was manifestly visually apparent on screen. Maddening. Right. Maddening, I tell you, folks. Bad news, folks. The last 15 minutes of our show was lost. Our primary means of capturing the call was iFree Skype Recorder, which I've been using for years, years, since, what, Digital Drift started. And you heard how much better than Pamela that sounded. But in 2016, iFree Skype Recorder has become very patchy and unreliable, and I'm blaming Windows 10, because I blame everything on Windows 10. Our backup was MP3 Skype Recorder, which Bob had already, and I downloaded during the call after iFree crashed. Mine recorded the last hour and 10 minutes that you just heard, and Bob's also, as well as that, caught the first 20 minutes, which I free lost. But neither of us managed to catch the last bit. We lost the X-Men Apocalypse show because of iFree Skype Recorder, and thankfully Jerome had a backup. We lost the Kung Fu Panda 2 show because of iFree Skype Recorder, and Jerome did not have a backup. So you will never get to hear that. It's gone. That's how serious this is. We'll have to record it again sometime. Could podcasters please recommend me a really reliable Skype recorder because I will never use iFree again and I am disinclined to trust MP3 Skype recorder as it suffered the same weird glitch for Bob and I which is that the third file recorded was a duplicate of the second, the middle section of the podcast which is really weird and inexplicable. I don't mind paying for it, I just need to be able to trust it. Now... Luckily for everyone, Bob had a backup to the backup, which was him recording everything via Audacity with us coming through his speakers. He sounds fine. Sharon and I sound like absolute ass. For that, I apologize. But it's only 15 minutes, and I am so glad we managed to preserve the rest, because this was a really great show, and you guys deserve to hear the end.
kind of fascinated by this because I love like m one thing that I love almost as much as movies uh, is the idea of movies that almost happened, or movies that didn't quite happen. I'm kind of fascinated by these like these uh, curated like like things that like have you ever heard of like the Alien Love Triangle um, the films which uh, Danny Boyle um, was was part of? It just it never got released, even though it was actually made, mm. and it's like reasons why things change and things changing in the edit is even more interesting to me so like um watching through uh the hobbit uh trilogy i can see like the new stuff that they've added to it and gone well right, okay i can see how they padded this out now and why it works to the detriment of the uh trilogy um but there is however a real difference between you know we we made a director's cut and we put some deleted scenes back in and it doesn't really change anything about the essence of the film but it just stretches it out a little bit and as you say in the hobbit it, it's not a, a positive thing but i'm starting to get a little bit worried now that this is ghostbusters and um uh batman vs superman Mm. Um, where they basically yeah. the the actual film third act cut, stuff, isn't print it? sent to the theaters and you know all right in the case of Batman versus Superman they waited until they had all the negative reviews in and they went and they went ah but we have another version of the movie coming out which makes things very different and will give you a very different perspective on the film and they're saying if they're saying it now with Ghostbusters when it's it's really only just come out ah but there will be a longer and more involved version well then why aren't we watching that one you dis you you are totally de-incentivizing people to go and see it at the cinema because it's like well effectively then what you're saying is the theatrical release is not much more than a very very long trailer with all the action beats put in yeah, yeah. basically it's it's gonna you're gonna end up with this two-tiered system if you want to see the big bang crashy action scenes come and, and that's all you're bothered about come and see it at the cinema. If, however, you want to wait and get the version that's actually got the narrative and character in it, you can wait until it comes out on DVD and then see it. Uh -huh. This is a new Sharon, and we love the Two Towers Extended Edition. Yes. Which was the one that was weakened the most by uh, by having that much cut out of it. Yes, but, I, but that, wasn't, that wasn't their intent, and they weren't marketing that as their intent as soon as Two Towers came out at the cinema. Hmm. But at the same time, Fellowship uh, Extended had already come out, so people were sort of like taking it as... Uh, also with Lord of the Rings, it's like we're adapting an enormous book, and there's yeah. certain... Absolutely, certain yeah. A big part of those was that the theatrical releases were so incredibly long anyway. Yeah, yeah. You, you could accept the fact that, all right, there's a 40-minute chunk missing, because sitting in those seats for another 40 minutes yeah. would have been unpleasant. But the but Two Towers was not, not an, an incoherent... Yeah, Two Towers was not an incoherent mess, like Beaver's Dodge. And, and um, Ghostbusters is not an overly long film. I would not have objected to another 15 to 20 minutes of plot. Neither is it really de facto an incoherent mess. It just it, no. it, it overly simplifies what's clearly a more complex scenario at the end. And I'm, I'm now kind of intrigued as to what that could actually have been. I will say the Metal Festival thing, I could have just done without that all told. Like If that's the equivalent to the Slimer scenario, or the, the green ghost of the original hotel um, in the, the Ghostbusters, just that whole sequence is weaker than the rest of the film mm. and i'm not even sure if that metal band is real that's playing monsters of metal or something like that and then ozzy at the end going oh, we're another flashback and that is a gag that deserves to be in a 2004 film yeah that was bizarre yeah um i just the, the, the whole scenario felt less like i mean it's just it's retreading the uh the, basically slimer is a really great example of here is the trap here is how we make this work 
one of the things that the real Ghostbusters, uh, you know, this venerated, vaunted like mythology that the Ghostbusters fans love, abused was what the neutrino ones can actually do. It was the answer to most of their problems. Well, let's shoot our neutrino ones at the base of this thing, um, or we'll just change the polarity or some shit like that. But the original science of Ghostbusters was that ghosts exist in with negative particles and to make it very very simple the neutrino ones pull them into our world to allow them to get trapped yeah now they actually got um like mit consultants to get the science of this make as much sense as possible so that when they said what they were fiddling with and when they were sort of positing theories that the words weren't just gobbledygook However, there was a lot more kind of like, you know, once they actually got down to the busting, it was just like, well, we just like fire our neutrino ones at this thing and then we just like, uh, then it's it's busted, right? It, yeah. It, it wasn't, I mean, th- these are not guns, they're fishing rods. Yeah. And that was the whole point of what a neutrino one was supposed to be. But here, like, they're, they're just straight up what appears to be like beating and killing ghosts with their, with their packs. Now, there may be some more science to it, which might even retroactively be added, um, which could explain why they're basically able to injure these ghosts into submission. But it also does conjure up the whole, they're sentient beings. Mm. And that's another problem with the Ghostbusters story, because in the original Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 and the real Ghostbusters, they're basically, they're catching, injuring, and incarcerating sentient beings without trial and in some cases, straight up executing them, and then taking them to the uh, spiritual equivalent of Guantanamo Bay and shoving them in the exo-containment unit. Mm. That obviously wasn't even broached on in this film, but if in the second film, they're just like, yep, we get the ghosts, we shove them in here, and that's the end of that chapter. (laughs) And that's for the ones that they trap and don't just murder on the spot. (laughs) Unless you then start to say, well, what are these ghosts? Are they actually the, the souls of, of uh, previously living people who are now, that their plane of existence gives them a, a, a body which allows them to, you know, unleash mischief? Or, or are they just, like, whispers of people and actually not all that sentient, in which case, how the hell does Slimer have its, uh, his own, you know, personality? Um, it, it's problematic and troubling, and either needs to be addressed or never addressed in the Ghostbusters, you but you like you kind of have to just you go one way or the other because if you even for a second suggest that one of these ghosts is a person and that you've been storing all their buddies in this in this ecto Guantanamo, yeah, that just busts this whole scenario wide open. Yeah, they, they've they've never. I, I think the animated series did it a few times, but they've never really like you know all of the ghosts they encounter are hostile. So it, it, it's sort you know like they're all like the, like they they make kind of a point of that these are all like you know poltergeists so they're all you know haunting and messing with people and attacking yeah. them in some way you know I, I'm not sure exactly how much damage Slimer was doing but uh, be, because they imply that he's been in the hotel for like a long time in the first one yeah. like the guy says like well you know even the oldest employees know not to you know hang around on the the thirteenth floor or whatever. Yeah. You know, so, so, so like, Slimer has been there for a while. And That's a great throwaway line. Yeah. But also, yeah, they, 
the Ghostbusters exist in a world in the in the first one where ghosts, you know, everyone talks about ghosts and you know the, the, the ghosts are a phenomenon that people discuss, but the ghosts that they actually encounter are just way like they they almost they almost explained it in this with Rowan's like he, he's setting out these little devices. Um, yeah. uh, the, the one in the uh, mansion at the beginning, the one in the subway, which brings out what appears to be one of the Scaleri brothers. Yeah. Uh, from Ghostbusters. Give him the chair! Um, from Ghostbusters 2. The idea that that thing might bump it up from a class 1 to a class 4, where it can achieve corporal for, corporeal form and actually start affecting things like a poltergeist. Yeah. Like, like that might, there might be something in that rather than it, it being something more ephemeral. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is another one of those, let's not think about it too hard, which is a difficult pill to swallow when you're also bandying science around. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's important to maintain that this is a comedy first and that the science is there at best to make it feel like it might be able to happen. Right. And also, it, you know, if, if it, to, to fit in with your interpretation of the film, of the, of the first film, the idea that, you know, a technologically advanced man sending God back to the prehistoric times because he is no longer has need of him, uh, her, it. Um, but one thing that they missed out in this uh, was the payoff to Erin's haunting. You remember the, the, there's that um, quite uh, disarming uh, account of what happened with the, the old lady staring at her from the foot of the bed for a year um, mm. that, that Erin mentions and that she went through all of that shit. Um, I wanted as, a, as an end credit sequence for you know rather than to sort of like hint at Thanos for a, a little girl in Erin's house, you know the the current occupant to wake up and just go oh god and it's the old woman at the foot of the bed staring at her and making her feel terrible and then Erin turns up with the busters busts her traps her and goes right and then the little girl gives her the thumbs up and it just it's the idea of passing you know I I am now able to defend myself I'm no longer the defenseless little girl I was and I'm able to protect this little girl that I think would be an incredibly positive message to, to pass on and it follows up on Erin's story in a way that feels really like a progression of her character the best we get is that um, Abby calls her ghost girl and she goes I will take that name yeah yeah it, it, it there's another few passes at this and I, I think it, it, there, there, there'd be a much a much better movie which I think is already a perfectly fine movie in there yeah. you know you know if we'll get uh, if they get a sequel maybe they, they do better on this one it feels like a lot of this one came together really fast like the turnaround on this was really fast because I was like reporting on the uh, I remember re reporting on like when they were first thinking of doing this you know yeah. like only about a year and a half ago. Yeah. You know, which is a really quick turnaround for a movie of this size. So, who knows how long they actually had to work on anything. But, uh, it's... Well, Harold Ramis died in uh, February 2014. So, yeah. uh, that gives us two and a half years, top to bottom. Yeah. And that's basically scrapping everything that uh, had been written beforehand about possible Ghostbusters 3. Yes. I, I think overall, as you said, it's, it's a perfectly fine movie. I had a great time with it. Uh, I will be re-watching it again and again. And um, the, the, it, it could have been so much worse. Mm. The, uh, the the trailers were just sort of making me go, oh, God, this is going to be one of those. Like, because a, a bad horror movie at least can be funny. A bad comedy will never unintentionally thrill you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, ultimately, they, they, they could have gone far, far wrong. And, you know, 
slightly mangled up ending notwithstanding it does make kind of mostly sort of sense the whole way through it just like i said it kind of simplifies it but the most important thing as you noted in your review great characters that yeah. you want to spend time with and the best bits of the movie are just them hanging out and jawboning and i think if people want more of that that's something they can supply without going overboard on the budget and the effects I, I and agree. also there's a there's a lot of room for them to develop as characters hmm. It's it's a pretty good movie with great characters. Maybe we'll get you know a, a great movie next time. One more thing that just occurred to me now. We were talking about the this and the that and the other. Um, Rowan and what his what he was basically trying to do. You know, the bizarre rituals that were meant to bring about the end of the world. He's Evo Shandor, the spoken about character in uh, Ghostbusters Law that was basically doing stuff that became the precursor to the original Ghostbusters film. I was wondering if there may have been Shandor involved in in, in this at some point, or, or at least if that might have been one of the uh, things that Rowan was doing. <laughs> but uh, we, we'll know, I suppose, when it, it, depending on what they tell us in the next few years. I'll the, be getting on Blu-ray straight away. Enough people have pointed out that, that Rowan doesn't make sense in this movie, that if they do Gozer and Zool in the next one, the first thing out of someone's mouth will be like a throwaway thing about, oh, wow, so this is what was, was making stuff happen with Rowan. You know, yeah. to, to, to like was just the beginning. Retroactively make all of this make sense. Yeah, yeah. Make him a puppet. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Final note: the the most important thing. I'll go back to Lyra again, jumping around in her seat, overjoyed at seeing female Ghostbusters. She, um, we've taught her well. She she demands more female characters and, and won't take. Oh no, it's it's difficult to animate females at, for an answer for kids. Watching this at the cinema of my age when I saw the first one, to you know, in terms of inspiration, hopefully they're also watching the original because it's a straight up great comedy. The idea that this sort of like oh, takes the bricks out of the briefcase and goes, no, no, girls can be Ghostbusters, and not only can girls be Ghostbusters, but it's not even really even remarked upon in the film. Yeah. Apart from that sort of throwaway comment of "ain't no bitch is gonna bust ghosts." Yeah. Uh, so yeah. They were they were pretty canny about predicting exactly uh, what kind of shit pile would uh, would really really have a problem with them um, right. from the word go. So yeah, that's Ghostbusters. That's new Ghostbusters. We hope to come back to this series at some point in the next few years. Yeah, and uh, fingers crossed it could go in any direction. And uh, I'd like to get you back on for Bob so we can we can re-examine this one and see how it went. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Cool, cool. Okay, uh, Bob. What's the best place people can go to to see your work, the stuff you're most proud of? Uh, well, right now, um, I eventually post everything to my blog, which is moviebob.blogspot.com. That's going to be a better site at some point, uh, I keep saying, but uh, keep having to put that off. Uh, right now, um, you can uh, check out that. Follow me on Twitter on at the underscore moviebob. Uh, that's where you'll usually hear about things first. And I'm uh, a regular contributor to ScreenRant.com, and I'm the weekly film critic for Geek.com. Fantastic. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, if you are new to Bob's work, um, you can't really go that far wrong by checking out uh, his uh, really that good stuff on YouTube. Just in terms of if you listen to our show, that's probably the, the easiest, like straightforward moving across stuff. Um, because, I mean, they're just fantastic. And oh, uh, can't say enough good yeah, stuff about indeed. them. I look yeah. forward, every time you start hinting that the next one you're going to do, I'm like, oh, God, I can't wait. Just uh, just marking the time on the calendar until they turn up. So thank you very, very much, Bob, for coming on to this one. Hey, no problem. Anytime, guys. Cool. And thank you, Sharon. You're very welcome. So, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And 
Boston makes Boston me feel makes good. Me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing before we go. Yesterday, Leslie Jones, who plays Patty in New Ghostbusters, quit Twitter. This was due to a sudden increased flood of vocal hatred and harassment. Now, whatever you thought of Ghostbusters, whether you loved it, thought it was good, just okay, or damn right hated it, that's absolutely fine. You may hate it because of how it took something you loved, twisted it, and delivered something else, garnering modest critical praise and box office success in the process. I sympathize, that's how I feel about the X-Men movies, for reasons I've long documented. You may even be among those who hated Ghostbusters because you perceived it as pushing a liberal agenda, namely placing women, people of color, and homosexuals in traditionally straight, white, male roles. And there's merit in that assertion. It is indeed deliberately pushing against the status quo. Hell of a lot of people consider that to be a good thing. But there's darker, more extreme reactions here from a certain contingent using fandom as a weapon. This is the pronounced difference between not liking a movie and actively pursuing and bullying its stars for being women, for being people of colour, for being gay. There are only two reasons to do this. One, the misguided idea that if you frighten and torment enough women or minorities, these changes that you don't want to see happening will cease and roll back. Two, you are a genuinely nasty, sadistic person with little to no empathy and are using the anonymity the internet provides to hurt people without consequences. At no point does being a fan of the original Ghostbusters enter into this. I've read articles stating that the writer is now becoming less enamoured of the 1984 version because of the Ghost Bros. But this hasn't affected me in the same way. I still adore the original and I still really like this new one. Because I do not equate their behaviour with anything approaching love, which is what fandom should be, as opposed to obsession, which is what fandom gone wrong becomes. Or outright hate, which is what this is, using the excuse of fandom as a stick to beat women into submission with. I've seen women get told to just ignore them. This is akin to just ignoring cancer which is an apt parallel for what these individuals uniting under many banners become. They are a naturally occurring sickness in the human race and need to be dealt with. This behavior is not the least bit new to our species. It's been around since before the Stone Age. It's only now that they can utilize the internet and oppress on a far wider scale with a sense of twisted unity that we are getting some of the most memorably horrible responses to media and events. It's always the same kind of people at the core of every hateful overreaction. It's not 100% the same people each time, but there's recurring kinds of people at the core. Think of every loud, ugly, ongoing online situation for the past few years. Consider who was the angriest, who was at the center of each one. And when they're no longer allowed to play with everybody else, who screams the loudest about freedom of speech? So now, Leslie Jones is gone from Twitter because of them. A strong, proud, confident black woman. Doesn't matter how strong or proud you are, a deluge of unmitigated hate will make you quit eventually. And when you do show that you've been negatively affected by this treatment, suddenly you're playing the victim as though nobody is ever really hurt. It's all an act to get sympathy. Same as nobody ever does anything nice for someone else without it masking a self-serving reason. Same as anybody saying black lives matter or not all Muslims are like this must surely be claiming no lives aside from black lives matter and I'm the only Muslim who's not like this. Same as any woman brave enough to actually report being raped 
is obviously only out to destroy the reputation of a man. In their underdeveloped minds, everybody is as nasty and selfish as they are. I do feel sorry for them. That's a terrible worldview and they didn't get the way they are without some serious neglect or abuse or both. Except that the ones who are born to privilege or adulation their whole lives and are convinced they can do no wrong and neither can those they approve of. I feel sorry for those guys too, although I still think they're utterly wretched and vile. There's a world out there to embrace and learn about billions of other people whose lives, histories and feelings they could take into account and they're fixated on their one game or their one TV show or their one movie or their one joker. And that's only the guys who identify themselves as fans and aren't just in this to hurt women. Most of humanity will stay out of this argument. I'm choosing to be someone who doesn't just stand by and tell those affected by this to ignore them. That doesn't mean wading into the hateful and picking fights with every single one of them or screaming about my liberal agenda, which, by the way, is as revolutionary as don't be dicks to each other. Sometimes it can just mean showing support and solidarity for those who get hurt. And sometimes I will have to call out bullshit behavior. This cancer needs us to ignore it in order to overcome the better nature of the human race. It needs our complacency, our fear, and unwillingness to get involved in order to thrive. So what I'm saying to you all is that if you have the opportunity to defend or support someone who needs it, do what feels right rather than just ignoring the problem for a quiet life. Someone's being abusive online, confront them and report them. They need to be told by people without fear. In real life, it's even scarier, so you're going to have to weigh up what you are able to do. Just letting the victim of abuse know that they are not alone and that someone sees what is happening is better than nothing at all. Don't go overboard, be proportional in your response, and don't elect to counter bullying with more of the same abuse. What happens to one of us, happens to all of us. So here's Fallout Boy with a lukewarm cover of Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr.